Kaya, welcome to the show. I'm Phil Wally Stack. The story you're about to hear today features respected Wajak Baladong elder Nandulan Leisha Eads. Nan really wanted to sit down with me in person, sharing her story alongside her husband of 55 years, Pop Walter Eads. But she'd been very sick and in and out of hospital, so we never did get that chance to sit down and have a proper yarn. After bravely fighting a long illness, on March 29th, 2022, Dawn and Alicia Eads passed away at Jindalup Hospital, surrounded by a loving family. She was determined to get her story included in this series, so she gave us permission to use this interview she recorded earlier on in Cairns Elder Stories Project. Nan dedicated her life to sharing her culture and history. She was a strong community advocate and received numerous awards, including induction into the Women's Hall of Fame. Such is her standing in Perth, Boraloo, that several city councils, including Perth, flew their flags at half-mast to commemorate her passing. Nandulan was an incredible Buddhia who lived an incredible life. We're honoured to be able to share her story with you. So, here it is, in her words. I said, I welcome you, my people here to Wajak Nyunga land. I'm Dulan Lee Sheets, Nigalat Yarn. I was born at Badgeling in 1939. I grew up in Taman. My dad's family is the Garlets, my mum's family is the Yarns. And I am a Baladong. Wajak Nyunga Yoga. Well, I belong to Wajak Nyunga Buja through my grandmother, Fanny Yurin Bennell. Her dad belongs to Kings Park Lake Manga, Jack Manga Bennell. And her mother's Annie, who belongs to Kings Park Lake Manga. And so we belong to the Wajak. They were the ones that lived at Kings Park and Lake Munga for years and years until Sterling came in and with his red coat troops and slaughtered them and chased them off. And I belong to Baladong. That's my mum's country that takes in York, Quirting, all that Calabaran across all that country around there. That's Baladong country. And... Um, in the 60s, um, just uh, at the time of the referendum, 67 referendum, when we moved into Royal Street, East Perth, I think it was 176 Royal Street. And, of course, that was my first marriage. I was married to Wally then. And um, they all lived in East Perth. There were Nyungas everywhere in East Perth. It was in flats and houses and they camped at... Uh, where they didn't have houses, they just slept in the, in the wherever they could sleep. They had Miller's Cave where they used to sleep. They used to sleep down Bull Paddock. They was all coming into East Perth. We slept on Wellington Street. <laughs> Miller's Cave was a place there where the city farm is today. 
and uh, they were building a lot of things around and they brought lots and lots of timber. They had it stacked really, really high at Miller's Cave. And, of course, they'd leave it there stacked. Well, the Nyungas who were homeless used to get right under there and that's where they lived under. And they said it was very good. They reckoned they used to even make a fire under there. They had little rooms under there at Miller's Cave. And the others went down to Bull Paddock and they used to live down Bull Paddock. Places down there, probably little Mai Mai's or something built. I haven't been down there to have a look, but those to tell me. They had little shelters down there. And um, my grandma told me that uh, she was a little girl on Kings Park with her mum and dad and her sister and her brother. They were all there quite happy and free. And one day her and her sister and brother went for a walk looking for birds' eggs and they saw this boat coming down. It came down the Swan River and they followed around the bush and they saw it stop where the Swan Brewery is or was and they saw things on the trawler at the back what the boat was towing. It was four things tied up on the back and my grandma said they were the funniest looking things that they had ever seen and they were afraid from and yet they wanted to watch them. And anyway, the troopers started to untidy things and my grandma and her sister and brother took fright and they ran back to their mum and dad and they said, Oh, gulin nichi jinang, nidiang mam and barang wam tangan in yarlak. What they said is, come and have a look at these strange things. We think these white men brought these things out to eat us. And their mum and dad came and had a look and their dad said, that's horses. They brought them out to ride. Our grandma said about five or six days after, she said that was all in their camp. And she said, I realised what they brought them out for. She said, because we heard the horses coming galloping, galloping, galloping and galloping. And my mum grabbed me and my sister Ada by the hand and our dad grabbed Brother Jack by the hand and ran, ran for the bush. And the Redcoats was riding the horse and they got there and it was bang, 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 bang. They shooting all the Aboriginal people who were unaware of what they were about to do and they were getting shot. Some of them ran, started to run away and some of them was run away and some of them got shot, some of them was shot dead, some of them got shot, they were wounded. But my grandma said, oh, no, um, dad and mum just went with her and her brother and sister and they kept gone. They never came back. She said they, they went down and she believed they went where Clermont um, Bowling Club is because it was thick bush and they stayed there hiding. And she heard after the mob that stayed at King's Park, they moved down near Lake Munga, away from King's Park, and they were staying there. And then about five, six days after, the horses come galloping just on sundown and it was the red coats on horseback. And everyone started to run and sing out, Gert, Gert, Gulin, Gert, Gert, Gulin. They're running everywhere.
And a lot of the young people run into the lake because they were cornered. They, they run into the lake hiding. And again, because some was shot, some was wounded. There was one bloke, he was very good with a spear and he was strong and tall. And he had a spear in his hand and he lifted the spear to spear one of the troopers and the trooper shot him, shot his face off. And he was running with his face shot off. And Yeah, of course, my grandma used to cry when she tell us that and we used to cry with her. But anyway, they cornered a lot of them up in the lake, a lot of young people, and they couldn't get out of the lake because they were galloping around the lake. And they sent for rent. Some, one bloke went back on a horseback and he came back with more and it was dark now. And the troopers lit fire all around the lake and they said early in daybreak in the morning, we'll all go in in different angles and shoot these black fellas out. They went in daybreak in the morning and there was no one there. My people snuck out under their nose and they didn't even see them. And they got right away. And we hated Kings Park. We hated Perth. We never came back. But my grandma said she left then went away and went down to Brookton Highway and they did, they moved down Brookton Highway and kept going where they'd done a lot of work and with the new um, pioneers, they were the pioneer of the land and stayed on the property where they looked after them because they had troopers going around doing nigger hunts. They wanted to shoot all the niggers. And these white fellas had just set up land looked after them and had them on their property there. So they stayed there a long time. And then my grandma met my grandfather and they moved out to Brookton, out Brookton Way. And of course they had ten sons and four daughters then. My dad was in the middle. So I think uh, they moved out to the place called Boydian Rock and a lot of my Uncles and my dad and all was born at Borgen Rock, out from Pingley, and was between Pingley and Brookton. One vision that my grandma showed me. When I was sent into St John of God Subiaco Hospital, the first time I went in there, I got a lovely room. The window was overlooking Lake Munga. And I said, that's a nice view. And so that night when... I was ready for sleep and I switched the light off and all and I was going off to sleep and I heard all this screaming and crying and shouting. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And anyway, I tried to ignore it and it got louder and louder, screaming, crying and shouting. It was that bad that I couldn't ignore it. It was tormenting me. And uh, so I got up and I looked through the window because I thought, oh, it must be young people all fooling around. I could see one street light on and everything was quiet. And I thought, oh, couldn't see anyone around. So I laid down 
and I was going to sleep and it happened again. The screaming started, the crying, shouting. And I said, my gosh, that's funny. And I tried to ignore it and not, it just wouldn't let me. So I got up. So I've got to get up and have a look. And I got up and I went to the window and I'm standing at the window looking down there and everything was quiet. One little street light was on on the roadway towards the lake and then it came into my mind. I said I talked about my grandma so many times. I slept with her in the my my. She used to tell me the stories and tell me about the slaughter and here it is. She's let me know now what it was like. And, you know, I felt a peace that I knew that I was experienced them. And I stood there and I said, for a while and I realised and I could feel my, I could feel it. My whole body can feel it. I felt the feeling around me. And I just went and sat down on my bed then and I was talking to my grandma. And I said, oh, Grandma, you just showed me now what it was like. You let me realise. And then I laid down after and everything was quiet. Never heard anything more. And I was there for a week after, never heard anything more. So that was one vision that my Grandma showed me. I hated white people. I hated them. We all hated white people. And my dad always said to us, if there was no law, he said we could, and we could get a gun, we could shoot them all. He said, but it's not so, we can't do that. We never came back to Perth. We didn't want to come back to Perth because of the things Grandma told us. We never came back till the 60s, and that's because we started to come back for doctor. We were sent down for doctors. And we hated the government, we hated the police. And, um, and my dad was a boxer and he used to box in the, in the shows and win all the fights and then he won the title in Western Australia to go to Queensland and box. But the police used to pull him up every time and because my dad hated the police so much, he used to fight the police. And, of course... He used to belt the police too. If it was one police, he belted him, no worries. But then they finish up the time for belting the police. When my grandfather and my grandmother had their fa- started to get their family from Borgian Rock, they went to Lake Euring and they were living on the lake at Lake Euring and they, they lived on the land there of um, all sorts of animals and things and got a bit of work around there. And Grandfather put in for money to buy a farm and he got it. And my uncle was born there, the youngest one in the family, Uncle Snowy Garlet, Uncle Seelan, the Seelan's dad. And so they got the money, they moved out on the farm and they farm and the land. And, of course, they were going to queer the school queerest little place between Brookton and Corrigan. And I've been out there and had a look and I've seen the school. Well, the school's not there, but Clark there. And um, 
my dad and his two brothers and my auntie was going to school. And the farmers used to call them niggers and bulls and everything, and my dad was a fighter. He used to fight them. He couldn't stand anything like that, so he used to fight them all the time. But um, then one day my grandfather said to him, oh, well, Bill, you can, you can stay home and help me work because he's fighting too much at the school all the time. So he was glad of that. And Dad said they were in the paddock there working one day, my dad and Uncle Percy Garlett. Actually, my dad's Bill Garlett and my Uncle Percy Garlett. They were working with, the, with grandfather there. And, and the police and the welfare came, welfare from Perth here. And they said, um, oh, Bill, we've we been looking at your files for some time. You can go as a white man because you are what, you know, you're more white than black. But you've got an Aboriginal woman, you've got an Aboriginal wife and you've got all these half-caste family. So we're not letting Aboriginals own land. We're taking all the land from them and giving it to the new pioneers to come and pioneer the land. And so they said to him, you can stay and work the land yourself or you can go with your family and they've got to go. They have to go. And they have to go on to mission. Or we're putting all the Aboriginals on missions and reserves. And they said, you have to go to Badgeling Mission and live on Badgeling Mission. And so my grandfather had to sell his farm. and get, He didn't get as much as he paid for, but he had to get off in a certain time. And he said, uh, I'll go with my family and they said, oh, you go with them, you know, you, you could be Aboriginal. They said, well, I'll be Aboriginal. He went and they moved to Badgeling and they were staying at Badgeling. And they, was, they built a big camp down where, um, down the bottom there where the big timbers are. Anyway, they were staying there and Grandfather got sick because he was broken-hearted. And uh, they kept uh, taking him into the doctor. To, uh, he was getting worse. And uh, they filled in for pension for him. And uh, they said, you can't have a pension because you class yourself as Aboriginal. We don't give benefits to Aboriginals. And they said, you can't move on to the mission because you're a white man. You, you've got to stay here on the outskirts of Badgeling. So he didn't know where he was. But anyway, he, he um, got worse and they took him into the into the doctor and the doctor said to my dad and the family, well, you can leave him in a hospital but he's going to die in a couple of days or you can nurse him yourself. And they said, well, where are we going to nurse him? So they asked the police and the police said, you can camp near the dam there and, uh, you know, go and get water from the town hall. And that was just getting built there and lived there. So grandfather died there then. And grandmother and her family was allowed to move on the Badgeling Mission there. They moved on the Badgeling Mission. And, of course, uh, my dad had my mum and all the others, Uncle Harry and Uncle Percy and all, they all had Badgeling girls. You're listening to Nandul and Leisha Eats. Nee, Nalakwangi. Listen, us talking. 
a series of conversations with Aboriginal elders in Boroloo, Perth. We're working under a reconciliation plan and we're working on names. Uh, we named all the rooms in the council house. We're going to go through streets and name streets, Nyunga names. And I've been pushing for this one urgently all the time. When I'm coming into Perth, I want to say, you're now entering into Wajak country. But when we're going out and getting down into York area, and we, I want to say, we, you're now entering into Baladon country. I went for a trip over to New South Wales and I went through Aubrey Wodonga. And the biggest sign I saw there, you're now entering into Wiradjuri country. And I said, oh, isn't that beautiful? It just really thrilled me. I said, I'd like to see that in our state. We're always behind. Our government is always behind and not listening properly to us Aboriginal people on what we want. I don't know how long it's going to take for them to listen to us and to meet our thoughts as well and make us feel we belong to the country and the land because we are. We are the land and the land belongs to us. They could take the land from us but they can never take us from the land because our heart and our spirits are in our land and it always will be. No matter what they build on the land, they're still our land and we know that and we tell our kids and we tell our family, from time began, this land was given to us and it was stolen from us and taken off us by violence. And we never ever had a fair go. We never had a fair time and not. They didn't educate us, never educated our people because they didn't want them educated. They didn't want them equal to them. To the white people. They kept us down. They never let us in places where they were because they thought we wasn't good enough. They never let us in hospitals. And there's a lot of things that you can mention. There's so many things and places. And I had to fight for my rights always. I've been discrimination board so many times that I think they started to get sick of me in the end. I said, well, this is what I'm going through. <laughs> anyway, and they'll still hear from me. And I, I went to a shop one day and uh, this is a few awesome years back now and I was, I was getting some things at the shop. I had about three things and this, the shopkeeper would serve a white person behind me, maybe because they had two or three things and she wasn't waiting to see if I needed anything more. And so she would serve a white person behind one or two and then she'd want to serve me again and I'd get some, she'd get one thing for me and then she served the white person behind. So I walked off and left the things on the counter and she tried to run to me and tell me to go back and pay for my things. I said, no, they're your things, you keep them. And I thought, one thing about the city, you can go to another shop where you can't do that in the country. Calabarian was one of the worst racist towns you could ever go to, where they had um, toilets for Aboriginal women and toilets for ladies. You weren't allowed in the picture hall. You weren't allowed a glass of cool drink in the shop. 
You had to take a bottle out and drink it. Hospital women, they had their babies on the, on the veranda. I had my daughter Glenda in 1960 on the veranda in Kilburn Hospital. Well, I didn't have on the veranda. I had in the delivery room, but they put me back on the veranda. I had to sleep on the veranda. And it was cold in April. I only had canvas hanging down. What I want to leave for my next generation, I want them to be standing tall and proud, know who they are, where they belong, and what they're about. I'm proud of my grandson now. He's a, he's a lawyer. He's a full-pledged lawyer in Darwin. He done his seven-year training in the UWA, and he's been four years now up in Darwin. They got him run out. All the Aboriginals go there. They want him. And <laughs> anyway... He must be doing all right there because he, he have to come away for a breakdown again. In 2010, he, uh, my daughter Glenda stood with 14 other white people for Social Worker of the Year. And when they announced the winner, Glenda Kickett, you could hear the pin drop. The white people were all shocked that Glenda had won it. And I jumped up shouting and screaming and then I'm clapping my hands. So then everyone else started clapping hands then. But these are the things, you know, that you go through. That's why I'm saying these things. These are the things that you, that you see. And these are the things that I grew up and I know and I watch for these things all the time. And I'm not afraid to pull anyone up to for these things. Because I tell them this is my land and I won't be run over in my land. Rest peacefully, Nan. I'm Phil Wallystack, and you've been listening to the life story of Nan Doolan Leisha Eads. That interview was recorded for the Nalakwanging documentary, directed by Poppy Van Ord Granger and Ian Wilkes, and this podcast version was edited by sound engineer Gemma King. Neat Listen is produced in partnership with the City of Perth and with the support of the ABC. You can hear more of these stories by visiting can.org.au or through your favourite podcast service. For more information, check out can.org.au. Until next time, bye-bye.